0: you're listening to the co-main event podcast and now your hosts ben folks and chad dundas
1: That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic and we meet here every single week to chop up all the new newsworthy, prominent and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, almost four hours on Saturday night. For UFC 245, just the main card. Just the yeah, just the main pay-per-view card, we should say. The uh, if you watched the the fight pass and ESPN prelims, it was much much longer than that. Yeah, watching
0: the CME watch party, I think, was probably a great opportunity to see a couple old guys just yawning their way through a Saturday night where they're up past their bedtimes. Yeah,
1: way past my bedtime. By that, the uh, especially like the last hour, if you listen to the audio only version. Uh, it's mostly just me yawning.
0: Yeah. Uh, what do you usually nine thirty, nine fifteen kind of guy?
1: Uh, depends on what's happening. But like, you know, I'll try to be lights out by 10 because uh, my kids are going to get up, especially our two year old got up this morning at 545. And that was after he came to sleep in our bed for a couple hours. So like they don't care how late you've been up or what you did or if you caroused or if you'd like everyone to just be quiet and let daddy get some rest. They're, they don't play that shit. No, like, they don't. they're going to be up r- screaming for the most part and ready to do shit.
0: You know what I've discovered, especially this year, is my in laws got my children a kind of advent calendar thing where every day there's a new little like trinket mm-hmm. in the advent calendar. My kids love it. They love it so much. They can't wait to get up in the morning and see what the trinket is for that day. Five o'clock in the damn morning won't be light for another two and a half hours. They still – they want to get up and unwrap that thing. I had to make a rule that no one is unwrapping the – opening the next day's advent calendar trinket until the sun is up.
1: Were you like – I'm not an unreasonable man. No. Well, I mean you are. But in this instance, okay. this seems more like one of the more reasonable things that you, that you could want. Uh, like me, did you begin to question the wisdom of having – back-to-back-to-back 25-minute to back to back championship fights?
0: Especially those 25-minute fights, because you could look at all the fights, all the, the top three title fights here, and not hard to talk yourself into believing that they were all going the distance.
1: Yeah.
0: It'd be one thing. If we had a heavyweight slobber knocker as one of the three, then, hey, maybe you get out of there in 30 seconds, yeah. at least one of them. Yeah. But...
1: Not with these. No, three pretty long fights there at the top of the card on UFC 245. So I think it wrapped up around what would have been uh, 2 a.m. 2 on the East Coast. Who,
0: who even knows what time that is in the UK?
1: Yeah, it was, well, we had people in the live chat of the, of had the watch who party. who couldn't make it,
0: who tried to make it to the end and couldn't make it. Just said, finally, like, I'll catch up with you guys tomorrow. And... Godspeed to them.
1: Which, again, speaking of being reasonable, I feel like that's a, you know, once it gets that late, I feel like that's a perfectly reasonable response. Guys, the new paperback of Champion of the World is out and you've got about one month left to pre-order The Blaze. Don't wait though. It's a thriller. It's a mystery. I think you or somebody in your life is really going to like it. It officially drops January 21st, 2020, but you can go online right now and make sure that you get it that very day, the day that it comes out. Go ahead and pre-order at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or IndieBound.com or wherever you like to get your books. Pre-order The Blaze because... That shit really helps me out.
0: Why January 21st? Why not like, you know, December so that people can buy
1: it and get in time for Christmas? Do you think that I can control that? Do you think that like they ask me as the guy, like the low level mid list book author who gets his books published by Penguin Random House? You think Doug Random House calls me on the phone yes. and is like, hey, man, when do you want your book to come out? Go ahead. Pick a day. Listen, go ahead, Just pick a day. What day sa- is best for you, Chad? <laughs> all, all I'm saying,
0: do you want me to make a call? I can make I have a few moves I can make here. Do you want me to pick up the phone? Yeah, call Doug. Yeah,
1: I know that you've had Doug Random House's number in your phone for so long that it's actually in there under Doug's cell phone.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Doug Mobile. Yeah. Is that how I know him? Yeah, so yeah. If you want, Doug, you can make a I want to haul at you for a minute.
1: I mean the good thing is that they get did me. they did put the paperback of Champion of the World out right before okay. Christmas. So if anybody's out there if you've got like that weird uncle or old grandpa Oh, it's a perfect book for a weird uncle. And you know, like you're like, Well, I know he likes history and like he drinks whiskey and he's into Hemingway, you know, yeah. he's a tough guy. This is what you get. Get him the paperback of champion of the world. That's what you get. Your grandpa or your weird uncle, the guy that yeah. It's really bothering you. You don't know what you're going to get him for the family Christmas. I can get picture the
0: weird uncle's face when he unwraps it right now, like unwrapping it and like putting on his reading glasses and making a hell is this kind of face, but then also going, huh, and forcing himself to say thank you, even though he doesn't know what's going on. And then he's going to like put it aside and, you know, maybe later that night, maybe the next night after a couple few eggnogs, perhaps he picks it up starts reading it can't put it down
1: once he gets into it i'm pretty confident that he's gonna like it yeah don't forget about this either some of y'all asked for it so you know we added co-main event logo t-shirts to the offerings over at cotton bureau just in time for the holidays although at this point if you're still ordering from cotton bureau you better plan on getting that stuff in january uh you can go over to cotton right now and pick up one of those brand spanking new co-main event podcast logo t-shirts or you can get yourself a cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirt or a dundasso t-shirt those are always available on demand all the time whenever you want them over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise. Nailing it. Do you like my pronunciation there at the end? Really crisp. Really wanted to make sure I got all of the words correct. It popped. Really we got music again this week from our guy, our old friend, the fifth element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over on Twitter at the fifth element or facebook.com slash the fifth element or soundcloud.com slash the fifth element official. And as you guys know, that's the word the with an A, the fifth element. Three rounds as usual this week in the co main event podcast. In round number one, Colby Covington's bad guy gimmick finally kind of made him famous over the weekend and all he had to do was have Kamaru Usman break his damn jaw easy and in round number two Alexander Volkanovsky pledges to be a great and respectful champion and Max Holloway promises to be back on top before we know it we doing this again brother We gonna do it again
0: I don't know brother I just don't know we could do it
1: again brother brother and in round number three, Amanda Nunez channels her inner Dan Gable to defeat Jermaine, Jermaine Durandamy. And that is not a sentence I thought I'd be saying after UFC 245, but here we are. It's kind of a weird weekend. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Daryl French who writes, boys, should we be excited or worried that Jose Aldo looked pretty capable in his first first bantamweight fight? Are they really going to give him a pass into a fight against Triple C, even though he lost to Magic Marlin? Now, see, this is a legitimate question because Jose Aldo did look a little bit better than expected at 135 pounds. He was able to go out there and push Marlon Moraes, who, of course, is one of the top bantamweights in the world. Previous number one contender. Uh, A lot of people had kind of given up on Jose Aldo, not necessarily left the guy for dead. But I think we were all kind of thinking we've seen the best of him. You know, he doesn't look like vintage Jose Aldo. He's not going out there smoking you with a double flying knee in 12 seconds. He doesn't necessarily seem to have that same earth-shattering power in his punches. And we were talking about this during the the fight party. For whatever reason, it kind of seems like Jose Aldo has abandoned the leg kick. Yeah, it used to be one of his greatest weapons. It was like a a force that you had to reckon with. Like, if you were going to get in there with Jose Aldo, you better account for those leg kicks. Or you're going to have a terrible next couple weeks. Maybe, okay, here's
0: a theory for you. After he saw what he did to Uriah Faber's leg... Time, I remember that WEC title fight that they had. I think yeah, it was the WEC, WEC one. pay-per-view. Yeah. And he just shredded Uriah Faber's leg and it blew up to twice its normal size and changed into, I'm going to say, a kaleidoscope of different colors. Maybe he was so horrified by that. He vowed that he could not use this power so just carelessly anymore. You think he's
1: like, what have I done? Yeah. Man's inhumanity to man. He How can I like, be
0: part of this? I have become a monster. And Barrow was supposed to be the monster.
1: <laughs> Remember and Faber uh, pushed, posted those pictures of his leg like yes. the day after or a couple of days after? Those were nasty.
0: Yeah, and maybe Jose Aldo saw him he was scarred and he was like, I can't live with myself if I keep doing this. And for the betterment of humanity, he abandoned a key piece of his game plan.
1: Okay, so what are we to make though about Jose Aldo? Looking a little bit better than expected, having a very competitive fight uh, with Marlon Moraes, a uh, one that he thought he was going to win. It seemed like most of the scorecards online were in Moraes' favor, although it was a very close fight.
0: Very. I mean, not only when you say he thought he was going to win, his corner ran in, ran in there, picked him up like he had just won the damn World Cup. Yeah, prom like they, king. They, they, they were
1: carrying Jose Aldo around like the prom king. They
0: thought it was just a lock. Like there was there was nothing but jubilation and celebration at the final horn. They were like, "You did it!" And everybody else, kind of watching it, goes, "Even if you thought Josie Aldo won, you, you got to be thinking that nah, was close, though. The judges could go either way on this one." And I mean, I, I one of those fights where I can't say anybody gets robbed, no matter how it goes. Yeah,
1: yeah. But what do we say about our guy Daryl French's question? Good news or bad news that Aldo is out there looking capable at 135 pounds? I mean, good news for him.
0: I also though. Do not get at all how people did this math about what happened here and carried the one, and then the answer in the end was title shot for Jose Aldo.
1: Well, I mean, I think we know where the UFC is coming from, at least. We just did Marlon race. We got to find okay. Henry Cejudo something to do. If you're talking about, you know, everything's relative, right? So if you're talking about a high profile men's bantamweight title fight, maybe Jose Aldo is one of the best things you can get, especially since, uh, Uriah Faber got got by Peter Yan. Now, okay. obviously, you want to talk about deserve. As they say in Unforgiven, deserve's got nothing to do with it. But you want to talk about who deserves a title shot. And I know we got a, I I think we got a Uriah Faber question here coming up in Listener Mail. But Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, you got options. But if, you're, if you want to make it rain, you want to take a big fistful of money and throw it up in the air, it's not like Jose Aldo is Conor McGregor. But he's a little higher profile than those other guys. A
0: little higher profile, but I'm not sure that the bump that you would get in pay-per-view sales, which I still think would be minor with Jose Aldo versus Henry Cejudo. I don't know if that justifies just us over here acting like it doesn't matter who wins and loses these fights. And I kind of get the idea to be like, hey, I think the guy won. I'm going to treat him like he won. I think the judges got it wrong. I mean, if there's a straight up robbery, I can see you doing that. But – this was a close fight. He didn't win it. He has yet to win a fight at Bantamweight. Like in the well, UFC. this was That's, his first
1: fight. But so you're saying you can go well, out let's there... let's not make it sound like he's had numerous opportunities. Okay, sure.
0: But like, you're, you're going to tell me that the guy with zero wins in the weight class, has earned a title shot in the weight class. That just doesn't make sense to me, and it makes even less sense because, as you said, you have these other options. Peter Jan just went out there and put a hurting on Uriah Faber. If you're thinking is what, that Peter Jan, nobody cares about him, or that he's not ready yet, or, or what, I, I don't know what's the point then of putting him in a fight like that on this card. Also, Aljamain Sterling has been sitting there on a nice little win streak for a while. Why are we just telling him, like, hey, get fucked. We don't care how many fights you win. Uh, And then you got Joseph Benavidez down there, at flyweight. So, you have three options where nobody could criticize those options on like just a competitive. These people have earned a title shot at Henry Cejudo in some kind of weight class in some kind of form. I and to go through all of that and then be like, we're just going to do Jose Aldo again. Like, I feel like you have a little more
1: imagination. Have you not been watching the UFC? Yeah, I know. I know, but still. It's like you've been cryogenically frozen since 2010 and you just woke up. Don't you think stuff like
0: this has a long-term effect like on the UFC's ability to keep selling you these fights? Especially keep selling you undercard quality fights. Where one of the things you're selling me is this fight may determine who ends up in the next fight. Like this fight is going to determine the pick title picture. And then instead what you end up telling me is we were just kind of going to do whatever we were going to do. These fights don't really matter. Like, that all has a cumulative effect on people where they're going, I don't know why I should care about these anymore because I just don't believe you. Like when you say this is like a contender or eliminator, title eliminator or whatever, you're just saying things. You yeah. don't actually mean it.
1: No, I agree with you. I mean, frankly, just the way that the UFC is handling almost all of its business and has been handling it. Almost since the dawn of the Fox deal, it feels like no one is being a steward of the sport right now, like no one is worrying about where the sport is going to be in a decade or or five years or 15 years. It felt like we reached a point because for years you could make a case that the UFC, you know, kind of by default had to be a steward of the sport, that it had to kind of do what was right for the sport. To keep MMA from drying up and blowing away. Yeah, just to keep it alive. And then at some point it felt like the Fertitta brothers, Dana White maybe, the previous UFC ownership were kind of like, okay, well now we need to get paid. Like we did this thing for for a decade and now it's time for us to get paid. The whole
0: steward of the sport thing was us investing and now we're in the cash out phase. Right.
1: They cashed out. And so since then it feels to me like a lot of the decisions that have been made have been kind of short term – Uh, cash grabs or short-term plans designed to maximize income, which is fine. They're running a business, after all. They're not here to make friends. But at the same time, like it does feel like over
0: the next ten years, not just make some money next weekend.
1: Yeah, and right now, I don't know that any of the people involved are really thinking that they're going to be in the business in ten years. With the possible exception of Dana White, who we can all agree is going to do this thing till he drops. Yeah, but other than that, like you think, uh. WME Endeavor is like, well, two decades from now when we are still in the MMA business, like probably not. They're probably thinking, let's get that money and give it to the shareholders.
0: I mean, if you're thinking, let's get that money and give it to the shareholders over a long period of time, then you do need to be a better steward of the sport. And if you're thinking, let's sell this thing for more than we bought it for a few years from now then you at least need to think a few years from now. Yeah, I mean, hey, I just think stuff like this, and it's not the only thing, there's a lot of little things that are just chipping away at the fan base, I think, and kind of eroding interest, and stuff like that, where when you keep just hammering home, like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Like, a lot of this stuff doesn't We're just going to do stuff. We're just going to put together whatever we want, whatever we think that will make just slightly more money. Even if we, like, I mean, I think you can absolutely argue that the thing happened where you treated the titles as such just trinkets for poster design more than anything else that then you undermined what the title means. I think that we are living in that reality. The one that a lot of us said you were, hey, you're going to mess around with these titles until they don't mean anything anymore, until they don't motivate anybody to buy your shit just because of the title. And now that has happened. And I think there's a lot of little things like that. And this is one of those.
1: Yeah, there are two different conversations that you can have on us on almost any topic in mixed martial arts right now. And those two conversations are almost mutually exclusive. One conversation is what should happen. And that's the conversation that Peter Jan and Aljamain Sterling and Joseph Benavides are all in. And then the conversation of what will happen. And that right now I think is a conversation where you can't discount Jose Aldo. I don't know what will happen, but you can't discount the guy. Speaking of what will happen and what should happen, here's a question from Kevin Schuller, who writes, Uriah Faber was given not one, but two perfect MMA retirement fights. He could have been the exception, but he stuck around long enough to prove the rule about nobody getting out on top. So, of course, Uriah Faber defeats Brad Pickett, I believe by unanimous decision, before walking away from the sport, decides to come out of retirement gets Ricky Simone in his comeback fight, wins that one, then... In Sacramento. In Sacramento, gets the uh, the new deal from the UFC, the fair deal, as Uriah Faber called it, and they say, hey, man, if we're going to give you this lucrative new deal, you're going to have to take some tough fights. Uriah Faber says that's fine. Next thing we know, he's out there getting both chins punched off by oh, you didn't have to Peter do him Jan. Like,
0: you didn't have to do him like well, that.
1: Well, that's what Peter Jan said leading up to the fight. Come on. He said he's going to be hard to knock out because he's got two chins. <laughs>
0: That's That's unnecessary. I'm
1: just playing off Peter Yon. It's
0: kicking a man while he's down, and his face is wide open with a
1: gash. Uriah Faber said he was giving himself a 40th birthday present with this fight, and even in the aftermath of it, he still seemed pretty hype about it. Still seemed like, hey, this is what I wanted. I got what I wanted to do. I think he said something about, like, talk about feeling alive, exclamation point, or something like that. He doesn't seem that bummed about it. But uh, what do you make right now about Uriah Faber's return to the cage? And also, I guess... To be fair, let's talk a little bit about Peter Jan as well.
0: Yeah, this kind of went the way you thought it was going to go, really. Yeah. It it seemed like Jan took maybe the the first round to feel Uriah Faber out a little bit, figure out where he was going to be and what you're going to do. And then by the second round, started to get loose. And credit to Uriah Faber's toughness, making it through that second round, making it through the – into the early stage of the third round before he got caught with that head kick that he didn't see at all. And afterwards, Dana White does the usual Dana White thing where he's like, oh, I don't know what he has to gain from this anymore. He's a legend of the sport other than money and and basically being like, I don't think he needs the money. But I mean, we could say the same for Dana White. Uh, saying basically it's not worth it anymore and maybe also suggesting nobody at the USC is going to really make it easy on him. At this point, for that kind of money, would he make a quarter of a million dollars just for showing up here? Something like that. And we were talking about was it worth it for that? I mean, he seems to obviously really enjoy the process and really enjoy getting in there and just doing the thing. But also, you get beat up by a 26 year old scary Russian dude. That would make most of us rethink this whole thing. Yeah. What just what is there to gain that you absolutely need at this point? Or do you tell yourself, "Fury, I favor." We can't go out on that one.
1: Who knows what you tell yourself if you're, you're Uriah Faber. I mean, like, clearly he's a tough, tough bastard. Uh, we've seen a couple of times the Jose Aldo fight that we talked about early earlier being one in particular where he has taken a lot of punishment and it seems like never even really phases the guy uh, until he, he finally is put out here by, by Peter Yawn. I don't know, man. Like, I think it just comes down to what kind of dude you are, maybe, how you're going to walk away from this sport and what else you've got going on. And we know Uriah Faber has some irons in the fire, or at least we are led to believe that he's a guy that has some business irons in the fire at all times and a guy who maybe would have other things to do if he decided he did want to walk away to to do other things. Uh, you know, he's got a, a young kid. Uh, he's got a, a fiancé, or they may have gotten married at this point. So there are a lot of things that probably factor into Uriah Faber making a decision. But at the same time, he's one of these guys who you feel like he has been a competitor his entire life. And if he's going to walk away, then maybe he needs to replace that with something else. Right.
0: Well, see, that's always the point, though, that you come around to with these guys when they're like, hey, this is the only life I've known. I I don't know how to replace that. And especially with something like this, I've been working on a story that will drop somewhat soon about. MMA fighters talking about retirement and and how they manage to get themselves, talk themselves into it and stay into it and the difficult parts about it. And one of the things that a lot of people said is that it's not something that you can replace in your life. You know, other things that you do that you might get a kick out of, you can get that same kick. You can find a way to get that same kick out of a similar, but different kind of thing. Yeah. And, what you get, what a lot of them get from getting in there in a cage and fighting for money with another human being on live TV, that is really tough to replicate. Yeah. There just aren't a whole lot of things that fulfill that that need. So, but then the question is, don't you know that eventually that day must come? Like even if you're saying not today and you know maybe not this year, sooner or later you will have to stop fighting people in a cage for money on TV. Yeah, like That day is going to inevitably come whether it's because you just can't physically do it anymore or because no one will pay you to do it anymore. One of those things is going to happen. And if you know you have to figure it out sooner or later, then it's not necessarily a great argument to be like, I will keep getting my head beat in into my 40s just because I don't want to
1: figure it out yet. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with Peter Yawn a second ago when you said he's scary. Like, I think at you know at 125 pounds and 135 pounds, it's good to have people who are scary. You, at least historically, we've had a hard time getting people to tune in to watch those weight classes. You know, when Demetrius Johnson was the longtime flyweight champion, he was it was kind of like the defining thing of his UFC career is that he was historically great and all of his fights fetched either very low buy rates or very low ratings. Now you got Henry Cejudo, the double champ, at both of those weights. He's clearly going out of his way to be a little bit more marketable than Demetrius Johnson did, but at the same time, I almost feel like you need a Conor McGregor-style figure. You're obviously not going to replicate that, but like Conor McGregor got people to tune in for featherweight fights because he would punch you in your face and knock you the fuck out in 13 seconds. I feel like it's good to have a guy like Peter Yawn who is scary. Like, yeah. at that weight, you need a little something extra to get people to tune in and watch. And one of the things that's been missing from those lighter weight classes, scary dudes.
0: So what do you do? Do you make a fight between uh, Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling and be like, okay, this one, whoever wins this one, is going to get the bantamweight title shot? Because first of all, I may not believe you. Right. But also, then you're saying if you feel like you have a lack of contenders you can get people to pay for, you match those two guys up against each other, you're eliminating one of those contenders. Yeah. Well, it's and kind
1: of like classic UFC matchmaking if that's what they did. Not only because you would be knocking off a contender in a weight class where you need as many contenders as you can get, but also like sending scary-ass Peter Yawn out there to fight a talented takedown artist in Aldermaine Sterling. I feel like that's absolutely something that UFC would do. feel like you're begging for it? Just like begging for it a little bit. I mean, Peter Yan has nine wins in a row. I don't know what else he and could do at awesome. this point. And looks awesome. I don't know what else he could do at this point. I mean,
0: you make Henry Cejudo versus Peter Yan right now, and I watch the shit out of it. Yeah. But I also recognize that it's going to be the hardcores who watch the shit out of it. and But then... But that I might st- just
1: be the, 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 like the ceiling yeah, with I men's mean, bantamweight. I just... Or at
0: least right now. I, I have a hard time buying the reasoning that, well, hey, if we make Henry Cejudo versus Jose Aldo, well, then it's, you know... They're talking about it down at the, the corner bar right. and your, your homies are calling you up from all over being like, I got to come over and see Henry Cejudo versus Jose Aldo. I mean, I think that's still mostly a fight for the hardcores. Uh, it probably does marginally better. And that's what also what I wondered when Henry Cejudo comes out of all of this, making himself a, a poolside promo video yeah. where he is targeting Jose Aldo of all people after this. And also – well, I like most of what Henry Cejudo is doing. Can we do away with the thing where you, you hire a couple models to just stand there and hold your belts and not say anything? See, this was going to be my. Are you fucking
1: kidding me? So we might oh, as well just damn it. I'm sorry. We might as well just throw it out there now. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's like we can't do anything without objectifying a woman in this sport. It's like we have zero ideas beyond that. Just sort of if Henry Cejudo just does the thing where he gets out of the pool and sits down in a chair uh, with his belts and starts talking to the camera and then says your movie sucks and dives into the pool. I'm on board with that. Like you you don't have to love the Henry Cejudo personality, but like, as far as I'm concerned, if you are cutting a razor Ramon style WWE 1990s promo in MMA, you've got my attention. But he's got to have the ladies there The like the, the, the women that look like robots sitting there in their bikinis, holding the belts. Uh, fanning him with a leaf or something like that. Like, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to do that specific thing? I was even
0: more into it when he, for one of the fight weeks had some members of his entourage, like training partners or coaches or somebody just dress up like security detail. Yeah. That is even better. Like have a couple dudes in just all black suits and black uh, sunglasses. Have them put fake like secret service earpieces in and then have them stand there in white gloves, holding your belt. That will even work for me, but yeah, it it just seems like mm, that's where you're 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 getting into a Colby Covington territory, and you don't really want that. If you're, you want to be the Henry Cejudo guy. But my original point was: Do you think he obviously watched this weekend's fights? Comes out of it going like, "All right, I'm kind of trying to choose a path for myself here." Do you think part of his thinking
1: is, "Well, I'd I'd rather not fight Peter Yan." I think part of his well, maybe. I think part of his thinking is he could beat Jose Aldo. Because yes, we've seen this. That's definitely part of his thinking. We've seen this from Henry Cejudo for a while now. Like, wh- after he won the title, the guys that he got on the mic and called out were not necessarily the young True. killers of that division.
0: Well, in this, even this one, the Jose Aldo one, it seemed like, he, to his mind, it was just choosing between Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo. <laughs> right, And you're like, no, man, that's not what anybody else is talking about. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I think Henry Cejudo would be scared to fight Peter Jan, but that he might do the math on it and be like, well, you fight Peter Yawn, that's probably going to be a hard night's work. The guy is scary. The guy can do some stuff. And it probably, risk versus reward wise, maybe wouldn't be the smartest thing I could do. Let me instead pick out somebody who I think has a little bigger name and would be a little easier. And uh, there you go.
1: All right, we're going to do this uh, email from Wyndham Rotunda a.k.a. Bray Wyatt okay. over there in the WWE, a.k.a. The Fiend, the current WWE. I believe he is the universal champion.
0: You're telling me the man's real name is Wyndham Rotunda. Yeah. And then when he became a professional wrestler, they were like,
1: oh, let's let's change that. That's not distinctive enough. I mean, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's real name is William Blood, right? Like, we've seen them do this in the past. Uh, Wyndham Rotunda, a second or third generation professional wrestler? So he is named after both Barry Wyndham and his dad, Mike Rotunda.
0: This answers my next question, which was going to be, how do you end up with your name, Wyndham Rotunda? It's being in a family of pro wrestlers. So that checks out.
1: So there you go. Anyway, Wyndham Rotunda writes, the real deal hands of steel make you eat your next meal through a straw Jeff Neal. That man looks good. I know he just beat Ben's homie, Platinum. Sorry, Ben. But give that man a top contender and let's see how he performs. Cormier was saying he should fight Santiago Ponzinibio, Nailed it. And that's one I would hashtag would watch discuss boys.
0: You got to give some credit here to the phonetic spelling that uh, Wyndham Rotunda does of Santiago Ponzinibio,
1: Yeah. Thanks, Yeah, Wyndham. I mean, I can get Ponzinibbio at this point because yeah, we've had he's been around for a while. He's come a long way since he was the guy we randomly picked out to make fun of when they first debuted the UFC fight kits. When <laughs> yes, we were like, yeah. man, ain't nobody buying a Santiago Ponzinibbio fight kit. Yeah. Turns out maybe some people will. I don't know. Pretty good fighter. Yeah. Well, and then you got a guy like Jeff Neal
0: who kind of fits in the same – Well, you got a couple guys at Wait right now where they – seem, I don't want to say interchangeable, but they're super good. There's nothing all that distinctive about them. And even their names don't inspire you to go, well, I need to learn more about this person. I mean, yeah, Jeff Neal and Leon Edwards. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That just sounds like a UFC video game name generator thing. Like when you're just coming up the ranks and it's coming up with like fake fighters or something for you to fight. Like that's what that sounds like.
1: I believe Jeff Neal has won seven fights in a row in his last... Let's say four are against Mike Perry, Nico Price, Bilal Muhammad, and Frank Camacho. So guys we've heard of,
0: if nothing else. Well, and this pairing especially feels like the UFC trying to get Jeff Neal a little shine, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you give him Mike Perry, who people know, and people know like Mike Perry has a reputation for violence and also for not playing it safe, even when maybe he should. And you give him Mike Perry four months after Mike Perry got his whole shit broke. Yeah. Which is not a good idea for Mike Perry to just get back in there. But it is uh, the kind of stuff you would do if you're trying to get Jeff Neal some high-profile wins because you think that he can be somebody. Now, I still think that uh, Jeff Painful, or- Painful Ordeal Neal uh, <laughs> should consider a rebrand on the nickname thing just because Hands of Steel is not not getting it done for me. But uh, you watch that guy fight and you're like, okay, him versus Santiago Ponzanibio. Yeah, would watch the shit out of that. That'd be a fun fucking fight. Yeah. But also, if I'm any of those guys, you're trying to look at, like, what do I have to do to climb up to this point where I can fight for a title? And it's tough. It's tough to plot forward a path that just has to do with winning fights.
1: Yeah, especially in this division where there is yeah. a lot. It's like a top-heavy division right now. There's a lot of intrigue at the top and a lot of stuff going on. What do we make of our guy Platinum Mike at this point, Ben? He's lost three of four. In fact, he's lost five of his last seven. The two wins in that time are a split decision over Paul Felder at UFC 226 and a unanimous decision over Alex Oliveira. In April of this year, as you mentioned, he had just got his whole shit broke against Vicente mm-hmm. Luque, losing that split decision. In August, comes back here for Jeff Neal and gets, I believe, loses via version of knockout for the first time. Correct? Like he had he had never been taken out with punches before. He had been armbarred by Donald Cerrone, but this was Mike Perry's first T slash KO loss, and it happens in a minute and thirty seconds. Are we? The guy's only twenty eight. He's had 21 pro MMA fights, but at this point, are we starting to get into a period of diminishing returns with your guy, Platinum Perry? Kind of, but also,
0: like, somebody asked in my uh, athletic mailbag this week what you'd do with Mike Perry, and the first thing I would do is make him take at least six months off. Yeah. Because that's a lot of physical damage to just pile up in such a short period of time. And even if you tell me like he has an amazing healing ability, his
1: nose, at least cosmetically, looks pretty fine. I don't know that amazing healing ability is the greatest attribute for an MMA no. fighter. I mean, no. it's it's better than the alternative, I yes. guess. But like, if that's the thing they're saying about you... <laughs>
0: the same thing. Like, If people are always talking about what a great chin you have, right. it means that there are some deficiencies in your fighting style that give us too many opportunities to appreciate that. And for Mike Perry, I think... In a sense, I think maybe he's got a little bit of a Leonard Garcia problem, Mm -hmm. which is when you start getting a lot of accolades and a lot of love for your ability and your willingness to just go out there, plant your feet, and throw down, and that's what people expect out of you. You know that's what the UFC is signing you up for some of these fights for because they're like, oh, this guy brings an exciting bloodbath-style approach to professional fighting. Let's get him in there, and you know that that's kind of your currency in a way but also that currency spends fast man yeah. it does not last long and it just it gets you into a lot of situations where you're not fighting to win the same way anymore like you're you're fighting to give people what they want and it's it's bad for you shockingly fast yeah all
1: right we're going to squeeze one more in here quickly from Marvel's Isaac Spooner who writes fellas how about Irene Aldana Almost exactly three years after her UFC debut, a rough loss to Leslie Smith, she scores a massive upset against the consensus next big thing, Caitlin Vieira. And if not for a split decision to Raquel Pennington, would be on a six-fight winning streak, what's next? Up the ziggurat, lickety-split, or pump the brakes. Did you see this fight? Ziggurat, huh? Yeah, up the ziggurat.
0: I had to come back and watch this fight because I, I missed it initially driving over to your house to yeah. get set up for the watch
1: party. One punch knockout. And Something she was throwing heat even before that. They both were. Yeah. And frankly, Kalen Vieira, scary looking. Like, that is a big athlete. Had 135 pounds. So for Aldana to do a thing that you don't see relatively often in women's MMA, one punch lights out KO, this was an impressive performance against uh, a woman who was officially the number two overall ranked uh challenger in that division. So are you saying up to Ziggurat? I mean you might as well, especially well, when yeah. like there's
0: so little for Amanda Nunes to do right. I know,
1: now. man. Like you're you're dealing with the, the division that by all rights should be the marquee women's division in the UFC, especially if Featherweight is gonna be a ghost town. You got probably the the best fighter on the roster is the champion at that weight. She just got a big win. No one can can hang with her. She needs people to fight. I don't know that you want to throw Aldana out there right now, but you could do a lot worse than to have some interesting people in this division.
0: How about Arena Aldana versus uh, Aspen Lad? Winner gets a title shot.
1: There we go. So that works for me. I like it. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern that you would like to air to the co Event Podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, Email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on the days that we're not recording the CME. I used to say, not recording a podcast, but frankly, we're recording fucking podcasts every goddamn
0: day. Damn now. near d- every day. And you know what?
1: Uh, you know we're still in the month of December, right? That's right. couple weeks left of December about to hit the holiday season. You know what that means? I know what it means. I'm trying to talk so that you don't have the opportunity to... Get in here with your Tito Ortiz quote. I'm trying to fill the space. I'm trying to stretch for time. I'll wait. I'll wait you out. All right. Go. You might as well get it over with. We are in the middle of co-main event podcast Patreon pledge drive month. That's correct. What you got to do if you're listening to the podcast right now, go to patreon.com slash co-main event and get in on the Patreon action. We got podcasts all week. Wednesday live chat uh, also, a movie club coming up this week about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Very excited. Directed for that. by Quentin Tarantino. Friday we'll have the uh, the Patreon Power Hour featuring the Almighty Power Rankings. If you're not listening to that stuff, you you're getting like less than one third of us.
0: That's right. And also, just on a personal level, I dropped a lot of money at the American Girl online American Girl doll <laughs> online store uh, in advance of Christmas, since I have two daughters. And uh, I I need some help. Yeah. I just need some help. You Monetarily. Support, support this here podcast, an independent podcast trying to do its thing. And in the service of that, I will hit you with today's Tito Ortiz quote in honor of CME Patreon Pledge Drive Month. Are you ready, Chad?
1: It's impossible to be ready, yeah. but
0: uh, I'm as ready as I'm going to get. Let's just say that. I want you. This one is seemingly simple, but I want you to think about the ramifications this one has for you personally. Okay. <laughs> now I'm scared. I'm a little scared now. Okay. <clears throat> Quote, once someone watches me compete, I'm part of them forever.
1: Whoa. Chad, I mean, have, you, have you ever watched Tito Ortiz compete? I've watched Tito Ortiz compete a lot and over a course of years. He's a part of you now. He's a big part of me, apparently. forever. I mean,
0: that's—I don't like to yeah. think about it. Go home and try to sleep now. Sit with that for a while.
1: Man, one time I met Tito Ortiz with our friend Brad Monahan, who at the time was running his uh, website design business for some of the top MMA stars of the world, and he—we wanted to give—he wanted to give his card to Tito Ortiz, see if Tito needed a website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was doing some writing for him at the time. We met Tito Ortiz, basically like in the lobby of a of a casino. Like you do. And uh, man, Tito Ortiz could not get over that he was talking to two dudes named Brad and Chad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just that's the height of comedy for he him. Was,
1: he He liked it like a little bit too much. <laughs> anyway, we're going to get into round number one. That starts right now. 50 seconds, Ben. 50 seconds left on the clock in a 25-minute welterweight title fight between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington, and one, frankly, where Colby Covington fought the last two rounds with a broken jaw. Seemed that way. has been confirmed, I guess, at this point, or as confirmed as it's going to get here in the short term.
0: An addendum medical report sent out by the UFC, emailed out to the media list, which I don't know if I've ever seen that one before.
1: Yeah, this is, that would be the first addendum medical report that I can recall.
0: The only other similar things I've seen is sometimes, well, they'll send you an update later to be like, somebody was transported to the hospital, but they were fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. After, like, a particularly hard fight. This is the first one I've seen, like, by the way, no, that jaw really was broke.
1: Okay. Uh, he gets stopped down the stretch in the final round, knocked down. He's on, he's in the four point position, as we're calling it these days, aka turtled up on the ground, uh, accepting shots from Kamar Usman. Referee Mark Goddard, or Mark Goddard, depending on your pronunciation, jumps in there to call it off. I didn't have a problem with the stoppage, but you know who did? Chaos. Yeah. Chaos Covington. He, uh, If you thought that that losing this fight and getting his jaw broke was maybe going to humble him a little bit, was going to have him – especially since leading up to the fight during fight week, Colby Covington was kind of – let us behind the curtain a little bit in that he implied that maybe being Colby Covington wasn't as cool as he thought it was going to be. Like if you thought that he was going to turn the volume down, didn't seem like that in the immediate aftermath of this because he went on Twitter and he called everybody fake pretty much. I mean – learning the lessons of Donald Trump's political
0: candidacy, it seems like if something bad happens to you. Blame everybody, but you being, he was treated very unfairly by Mark Goddard.
1: I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, there was zero wrong with this stoppage, right? Like he could have probably maybe survived maybe to the bell. I mean, 50 seconds can be a long damn time.
0: Yeah. When you're either, I mean, he was fucked up too, getting your ass
1: beat or doing burpees. One of the two, but like, uh, he he could have maybe gone a little longer but like if you're out there already with an injury uh i don't know man like i didn't see a, a problem at all with the stoppage frankly i
0: thought it could have gone a little bit longer just because it seemed like he was still kind of with it, and Kamaru Usman wasn't landing devastating shots. I thought for what it was, it could have it could have gone a little bit longer. But I also don't feel like it would have changed the outcome of the fight. Yeah. If Colby Covington's hope is that, hey, I could have made it to the bell maybe and then won a decision. I mean, you look at the scorecards at the time of the stoppage.
1: These are what classic MMA scorecards. They are, really are
0: for this kind of a fight. fight. Uh, Judge Derek Cleary had Usman up three rounds to one, heading into the fifth. Uh Judge Eric Colon had it even, two rounds apiece. And these are all 10-9 rounds, no 10-8s here. Uh, and then Sal D'Amato had it three rounds to one for Covington at that point. Now, even if Colby Covington survives to the bell, he's going to lose round five. Absolutely. Yeah. He may lose it 10-8. I mean, it, in a just world, he would lose at 10-8. Because there's a big difference between you know, landing a couple more strikes and like in some of these earlier rounds and dropping the guy and beating him until blood is all types of fucking blood got pouring out of the guy's face. Like, that's a 10-8 round in anybody's, like, reasonable estimation. So he loses that decision, even if he does make it to the bell. So I don't know what you're really complaining about there.
1: Yeah, unless he does something unbelievably awesome during that last 50 seconds. Which, come on. He's probably not going to. No.
0: Like, not only because... You are barely surviving at that point, and you're you're not on the verge of landing you know some kind of spinning heel kick that heel kick that's going to knock Kamar Usman out cold. But also just because one thing about Colby Covington's fighting style, while it's really effective when he's able to kind of get out in front of people and overwhelm people, it's kind of like being a, an option team in football or like a, a team that def- relies on its. Four yards and a cloud of dust running attack, which Mm -hmm. is if you fall behind, you don't have a great way to really strike back quickly. He does not have that ability to just, like, pull off amazing finishing shit in a couple seconds. That's just not in his game. So I don't think that you can argue that the stoppage changed the outcome here.
1: I would hate to be around three MMA judges trying to order a pizza. (laughs) just seems like every time we hear the scorecards, these guys can't agree on anything.
0: Well, yeah, and like to have wild disagreements. Like, one guy wants pepperoni. Mm-hmm. Another guy wants the the supreme thing with everything on it.
1: And the third guy's like, the third guy wants let's, let's get Thai food. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we got an awesome fight, though, out of Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. One of the narratives in the wake of this fight has been to question whether or not this fight represents some manner of redemption for Colby Covington. Uh You know, some people are online saying you got to respect the toughness. Maybe he talks a lot, but he's he's super tough. I think Dana White at the post fight press conference was basically like the guy's a jackass, but you got to give him his props for being super tough. Still, other people online are essentially taking up the position like that. They find his rhetoric so off-putting that they don't think that you got to give the guy. Any, you know, undue credit for simply going out there and doing his job and having an MMA fight. I'm a person that likes to think more things can be true or different things can be true all at the same time. It doesn't have to always be one way or the other. You can have a guy who is maybe reprehensible, you know, on a personal level, but still capable of great athletic things. I think that you can acknowledge both of those things. Where do you come down? I
0: mean,. I think that we can we have space enough in our brains to be like Colby Covington is a good fighter and he's tough as all hell because to go down that to go sit back on that stool after the third round yeah. and say I think my jaw is broken which but I love the response from his corner by the way mm-hmm. the first initial response
1: was it seemed they kind of act like they didn't hear him yeah kind of like if my daughter says she hurt her foot like I was out playing and I hurt my foot first time nothing second time be like okay
0: yeah yeah.
1: Everyone hurts their foot at bath time. Okay, right? (laughs) Yes, the same way. Like,
0: yeah, when I'm trying to get my uh, youngest daughter off to school in the morning, and it's kind of a routine where she, I'll get her strapped into the car seat, and then she'll tell me she's hungry, and my reply is, "Yeah, I'm hungry too. Everybody's hungry, man. Let's get going." And then, you know, when he kind of repeats it, they're focusing on technical advice, that kind of thing. Because hey, it's not quite uh, Greg Jackson telling you that he doesn't want to hear about your groin right now. But it kinda of, Cub Swanson told me a story about his broken jaw. The second one he suffered where it was in the fight. And he told Greg Jackson, like, I think my jaw's broken again. And Greg's response was something along the lines of, all right, well, let's try to stay positive and get back out there. But he was saying how since it was his second one, he had a better concept of, man, I know immediately what the next six weeks of my life are going to be like since I've been through it already. And once you have that in your head, it's hard not to just trip down that negative rabbit hole about. I'm going to be eating all my meals through a straw for a while and it sucks. So for him to get up off the stool and go back out there for the fourth round after that and do well, like not just survive the fourth round, but he's still in that fight in the fourth round. Yeah. That shows you that he is a tough guy and a good fighter who's really about that life. At the same time, he did act like a complete shithead for like the last two years or something. Yeah. Like that doesn't just because like nobody was ever saying when they were criticizing Colby Covington before, that Colby Covington is weak or that uh, he he is not a real fighter or that he's not a tough... Nobody ever said that.
1: Yeah, nobody except Jorge Masvidal. Well,
0: okay. Jorge Masvidal said a lot of things. <laughs> and if you've got a problem with it, he and Ike are going to come see you. But I, I, I don't see how him, again, proving toughness and skill in a fight, we already knew that stuff about him. I don't see how that s- says anything about The way he has chosen to behave as a person.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I think that uh, the problem that you get in is when you start treading near the line of Colby Covington put on a great fight. So what he did to promote this bout was okay, Right. Like we as human beings have the mental capacity, uh, the nuance to acknowledge that Colby Covington promoted himself in a way that even he seemed to dislike. Near the end. Well,
0: just like the consequences, anyway.
1: And yet was able to get in there and have and put on a a fine athletic performance. Like both of those things can be true, and one does not necessarily even really affect the other. But it's
0: rare, even in this sport, to get the sort of poetic justice of. A guy who got here in part by talking all kinds of stuff, Yeah. who who got our attention, like forced our attention by just his refusal to stop saying all manner of dumb and or, and, or intentionally offensive triggering things. Like it was talking that got him here as much as fighting. And for that guy to then have to end up having his jaw wired shut yeah. after a loss is it just it's one of those few moments where you actually believe in the existence of the MMA gods and that for change, they might have a sense of, of justice and comedy.
1: Yeah. Nobody has beat Kamaru Usman since 2013, his second professional fight. This is his uh, first successful welterweight title defense after taking the title off Tyron Woodley back at UFC 235 in March. A lot of stuff happening in welterweight right now, as we discussed earlier in the show, you got Jorge Masvidal hanging around, maybe knocking on the door. Conor McGregor is tweeting out three weight classes, some, uh, implying that maybe he would like to have a go up there at welterweight where his fight against Donald Cerrone is being contested. Uh, obviously Leon Edwards, who we've talked about in the past, who is super, super good and doesn't offer you a huge payday and thereby presents the most dislikable matchup in all of fight sports. Yes. Uh, I feel like Kamaru Usman is a good champion. I feel like for the most part, he handled this win. He handled all of this stuff with Colby Covington pretty well. Do you have a favorite thing that you want to see happen for Kamaru Usman now?
0: I think you do Kamara Usman versus
1: Masvidal. Yeah. Hey, Masvidal is not going to get any hotter unless no. he were to, like, fight Conor McGregor. Well, and – and Connor are already doing something with Conor McGregor. Yeah, so. we're,
0: we're doing something that seems to look months ahead and in advance. Like he's going to fight Cowboy Cerrone at 170 so that he can fight Khabib at 155. Haven't you heard? Right, It's yes. the plan that makes just so much sense. It, it makes so much sense, shouldn't even have to explain it.
1: Occam's Razor.
0: Yeah. So if that's the plan over there, Jorge Masvidal has had himself a year, man. And yeah. this is the time, if there ever is going to be a time for Jorge Masvidal to challenge for that top spot... I like. What was the point of turning Jorge Masvidal into such a thing? The BMF title, all this other kind of stuff. If then we're gonna have this opportunity where the champion needs somebody, and Kamar Usman, a great fighter, who is gonna need some help selling a fight. Still,
1: yeah, he needs
0: that yeah. little bit of uh, promotional help that Jorge Masvidal can bring to you. So you make that fight. In the meantime, have Colby Covington fight Tyron Woodley or something. You can still revive that. Uh, everybody wins.
1: All right. Uh, What's your, are you fucking kidding me? Since I already discharged mine earlier in the, uh, in the show.
0: Well, Chad, we didn't even talk about it. I'd be remiss if I let us go by without mentioning Chase Hooper.
1: Okay. Yes. Yeah.
0: Chase Hooper comes in here, 20 years old, comes in here looking like a damn infant.
1: Like imagine middle school kid.
0: Yeah. Like if you, If you were walking by the 7-Eleven that's closest to the middle school and Chase Hooper starts mouthing off to you, old man, you'd be like, what the – I'm going to teach this kid some manners. (laughs) Next thing you know, you're in a world of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Because this guy – I mean, not only is he going to then show up looking the way he looks, beat up Daniel Tamer, then he gets on the mic, sounds like a 12-year-old boy when he speaks – you you just you you look at this guy with his shirt off and you're like man you are at least a decade away from chest hair, it's just it's not even close to happening yet. And then what is he gonna do to celebrate this win? I mean can't go out clubbing twenty years old in Las Vegas can't can't buy himself a drink. Although Daniel Cormier did it seem offer to buy him some Nemiroff vodka, so that's that's kind. No, what he's going to do, Chad, is he's going to go to the m and store. Yeah. Right there on the Vegas Strip. Right around the corner from the
1: movie theater that it, I like. It is. It
0: is right around the corner from the bomb shelter movie theater that you like. There you can get yourself some customized M&M's. He has it all planned out. Are you fucking kidding me? You trying to become one of my guys? Because you're <laughs> hitting all me. the right notes right now, Chase Hooper. Fucking kidding me.
1: Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two.
0: Chad, I want you to try this one on for size. Just see how it sounds. See how it fits. Okay. And new UFC men's featherweight champion, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. Yeah. How's it feel?
1: I mean, going into this event, you had specifically tabbed this fight, the men's featherweight title fight, as the one where you thought the most likely opportunity for an upset? Check the record, bud. Called this one. And yet it still felt surprising to me to see Alexander Volkanovsky go out there and kinda like sprint right by Max Holloway. Like this one went the distance, but at the same time, it wasn't really in doubt. Like we we knew headed into the uh into the decision, the announcement of the decision that Alexander Volkanovsky had pretty well beat Max Holloway. And maybe well. Holloway if Holloway uh, you could have made a case for it if he would have got the tiz- decision, but at the same time, I would have been surprised. This I was- would have been
0: surprised. too. I mean, I was also, though, surprised to hear one judge give it 50-45 yeah. for Yeah. That's some MMA shit right yeah. there.
1: Another surprise, seeming, and maybe this has more to do with all of the stuff that we, as the MMA bubble, have said about Max Holloway, who is a guy who's really easy to like, and some people consider him to be sort of like a generational talent, that he's that good, but I was astonished to see him get kicked so many damn times in the leg, almost like, no one's ever really thought of this before, maybe you kick Max Holloway in his knee, see what happens, yeah I was surprised to see him
0: not make better adjustments for that because yeah. it, it seemed like early on he just regarded it as well that's something that's happening for now, but it won't it won't continue yeah I don't really need to worry about it but also this is one of the things we talked about beforehand like it seems the way that one of the things Max Holloway is best at or when he is able to To be best is when he can convince somebody to get in these kind of firefights with him because he's just kind of a a pressure fighter a lot of times and people they want to get him to leave them alone for a second or two let let you breathe and a lot of times good pressure fighters they're just kind of constantly in your face and you got to hit them and keep moving in order to keep from getting sucked into their zone and then sooner or later you want to hit them hard enough so that they stop coming. And that's when he gets you. It's because then the next thing you know, you're standing there and you're trading and he's throwing a lot more punches than you are. And he can just throw in in combinations and and connect so cleanly with so many different punches that he overwhelms you. And we've seen that happen. He did it to Jose Aldo. And he uses he's best when he can use your own ego to bait you into that. Because you've got to believe that, hey, I can hit this guy hard enough that he's going to rethink this. Mm. And against Dustin Poirier, when he went up to lightweight, it didn't work so well because Dustin Poirier could hit him hard enough to get him to kind of back off and rethink it at times. Alexander Volkanovsky didn't have to do it and didn't get pulled into playing that game. He had a, a strategy clearly and he managed to stick to it for five rounds. And because he was able, he was so mobile and he just wasn't going to stand still and always be in the same spot where you could find him whenever he wanted to. And it seemed like Max Holloway just couldn't make the adjustment to deal with that.
1: Yeah, it was really a masterful performance from Volkanovski, not only like with the leg kicks, but controlling the distance like you said, we all kind of scoffed at the idea that uh or the reality that Alexander Volkanovski had a slight reach advantage in this fight just because he's so much shorter. Uh, but like when you actually saw the fight play out, like he did a really good job of keeping the fight at a range where like he could kick Max Holloway in his legs and he could dart in and punch Max Holloway when he needed to. And, but it just like didn't really allow Max Holloway to start that sort of like snowball offense that he can get into when he really gets in a rhythm. And so, and I'm, and that must've been the case with the leg kicks too. It's just like, it's not the case that Max Holloway does not know how to check a leg kick. Uh, it's just that Alexander Volkanovsky, I think, was was pitching such a perfect game that Max Holloway couldn't really ever get into a rhythm to do anything about it. And frankly, I think we got to acknowledge at this point City Kickboxing, the team from uh, uh, New Zealand that Volkanovsky comes from, which also has Israel Adesanya, who obviously just won the uh, UFC middleweight title, and Dan Hooker, who is on an upward trajectory right now. So like a relatively small gym in a relatively, at least from our perspective, out of the way place, uh, turning out world class dudes at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they've got to really be sitting back there and be like, "Well,
1: 2019
0: went all right. Yeah, you know, yeah, not too shabby. That's that's about how we drew it up, but." The question comes about: What do you want to do next here? Because I heard people asking, like, do you want to make an immediate rematch? Because Max Holloway did have a great title run at featherweight, and it's not like he got blown out in this fight. He, he, I didn't think it was super in doubt who won by the time he got to the judges. But it's not like it's not like Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov, where you watch the fight and you go, "Well, there is nothing left to learn that a second fight is going to teach us." There's no reason to think that the second because. I would honestly be interested to see what kind of adjustments Max Holloway would make, having been in there with Volkanovsky once, what he would try to do a second time. And yet at the same time, I also feel a little bit of fatigue where a part of me is like, I will watch Max Holloway and Volkanovsky again. Yeah, Maybe just not right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great matchup and you're right. Like Max Holloway obviously so capable and so talented that – it is interesting to think about how he would approach a second fight with Volkanovsky because the stuff he did the first time clearly didn't really work. So it would be interesting to see what he would bring to the table in the rematch. However, like I always think it's weird that we do these immediate rematches when there's no real cause for it. You know what I mean? Like it's not like anything weird happened yeah. during this first fight. Like Alexander Volkanovsky just kind of won. He just went out there and was better that night and, and won the title. So like does even though, Max Holloway is regarded as this, uh, you know, enormous figure in the sport. And I felt like kind of weird when we did this with like Anderson Silva and people like that too. Like I just don't see grounds for a rematch. If there's not something about the first fight that leads you to believe that the second fight could correct it in some way. Like maybe it's always possible that Max Holloway does something different and has a different performance. But for me, that question is not quite good enough to justify an immediate rematch. Like, have Max Holloway go get one win. Yeah. And have Alexander Volkanovsky maybe defend the title one time. And then if they both get through those, then I'm all for it.
0: Let me throw out an idea. Let me just throw it your way. See if you feel like catching it. If you don't like it, you can just toss it right back. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Zabit, Zabit Magomed Sherapov.
1: I mean, I love it. What's not to like about that? Like people are going to talk about Magomed Sherapov's Cardio, but at the same time, let's like, find out. Let's get it together. Let's get something on the books.
0: Yeah, and have
1: that happen. Let's talk just a couple minutes here about Max Holloway, who obviously, as we just said, is regarded as kind of like a towering figure in the sport at this point. Really thoughtful guy, likable. uh Really hard to criticize anything that Max Holloway has done, either in the cage or out of the cage during his UFC career. uh Handles this defeat, frankly, with a whole lot of class. His son is in there. Obviously, somewhat distraught after seeing his dad lose the title. And basically, Holloway's response is like, we'll be back. Don't worry. Not, but,
0: not so distraught he can't eat, him, eat some ice cream. at Well, the post come by on, man. Yeah.
1: Like I said, everybody's hurt, foot is hurt at bath time. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream comes out. Watch him sprint to it. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, Max Holloway, still a young guy, obviously, very young in the sport. At the same time, it is very hard to get a UFC title back. Very, very few people do it. He clearly is capable of it. He clearly has the skills. But was this fight in your mind a signpost in the career of Max Holloway? Was this a turning point of some kind?
0: I think it's way too soon to say that. Like, as he was quick to remind us, he's 28. Yeah. And I do think... Same age as Mike Perry. Well, they've been living differently. Those are different 28s. Yes. But also, I do think that... Max Holloway has put in a lot of work recently. Yeah. Like we talked about a lot of rounds, a lot of fighting. And while it's not like he's just a head down brawler who absorbs a ton of damage, he also is not afraid to take a little bit of damage. Like that, that pressure fighting style where he wants to draw you into these exchanges because he feels like he's just going to be faster and land more punches and he can take it more than you can. That does take a toll on you physically and just all the training camps and everything too. So, uh, I'm not saying that I think that he's used it all up, but I do think maybe a little bit of time before you rush back in there would do him some good.
1: Yeah, he seems like a person that could benefit from some time off. Not necessarily just to like get his body right, but also just to sort of like, you know, be out of the limelight for a few minutes, uh, let, let fans kind of get into alexander volkanovsky and some of the other things that are going on and then when max holloway comes back for whatever his return fight is then we can all be like oh yeah max holloway he's really really good that's awesome yeah all right that's gonna do it for round number two we will be right back with round number three Thinking about how Amanda Nunes, Jermaine Durandamy was going to go in our mind's eye, in our brain's hearts, we were trying to prognosticate this one a little bit. I'm not sure that I expected takedowns and top control to be the difference here. Amanda Nunes ultimately defeats Jermaine Durandamy, uh, 49-44, 49-46, 49-45 across the board from the judges, uh... But I think all things considered, got a tougher fight from Jermaine Durandamy than maybe many of us were expecting and went out there and utilized a set of skills that we don't necessarily usually see from Amanda Nunez and that we weren't expecting to get in this matchup. Now, after it was over, Amanda Nunez was like, this was the plan all along. I wanted to see if I could go five rounds with Jermaine Durandamy. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Man,
0: if that was the plan, I guess I'm glad you didn't tell us ahead of time. Yeah. It been. That's
1: the one thing that you don't you don't want to tip your hand about that. Yeah. It's gonna be a decision, you guys. I'm planning to go all 25 minutes here.
0: Like, I can't wait to go out there, take her down, and more or less hold her there. So, Are you ready?
1: Yeah. A uh an obvious win for Amanda Nunez. However, like some moments here where like Jermaine Durandamy did much better than we thought. Like I believe there was a like a knee, uh uh triangle, and then like an up kick that kind of rocked the world of Amanda Nunes a little bit here. What was your takeaway from this fight? Like, what did you think about the the style of fighting? Did it make Amanda Nunes seem less impressive to you or more impressive because she's able to go out there, have a completely different kind of fight than she normally has and still be dominant?
0: I mean, I concede that it is, I guess, impressive for her to show you like, oh, I can also do this. But also as a viewer yeah. and as a fan, it's not like I was... Like man, what I really want from Amanda Nunez is to show us that she can, she can grapple her way to a five-round decision. Like no, I liked, I was really enjoying the other thing that you did, where you just punched people in the face really hard until they fell down. That was pretty rad. In fact, that was how you got to be the women's goat, and then to come out here and do this, and it's like okay, cool, cool. You have this this in your back pocket, but it's also not like anybody was saying. Well, even if you have good wrestling, it'll never work against Jermaine Duran to me. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, like, so, I don't know. I would have preferred to see the just skull crushing, face punching Amanda Nunes. But I also can understand you go out there, you got the title. If you're Amanda Nunes, definitely, you know that if you lose the belt, the UFC is not going to be in a hurry to put you back in an opportunity where you can get it back again. Like, they, they barely like you as it is.
1: Well, if, if there was ever a sign that maybe we should have anticipated a less than exciting fight between Nunez and Duranami, it was that the UFC f- seemed like it finally turned a corner on trying to promote Amanda Nunez a little bit leading up to this fight, uh, putting out special press releases about the GOAT and how good she is. And like, finally, it seems like we're going to get on the on the train with Amanda Nunez here. And then like, that should have been maybe our first clue that like, okay, this fight will probably underwhelm because that frankly is just how shit happens.
0: Yeah, maybe. The thing that I came away, though, feeling more than anything was, what the fuck now? Because kind of a victim of her own success. Yeah. She's just laid waste to one and a half divisions. She's not even really trying anymore at Featherweight. Still got that belt. Still got the old belt. Doesn't seem like they're ever going to replace it because you're never going to get a chance to defend that one and get the new belt. And then... We were already kind of reaching for contenders when we signed up Jermaine me for this fight. And so what do you – like I mentioned it when somebody asked me about it that this is one of the only situations where there's one of those MMA fighter versus boxer conversations about uh, Nunes and Clarissa Shields where I'm like, okay, sure, no. Let's go ahead and let's continue talking about that one and maybe do something there because then I actually – Fine. Give me something. Yeah. Let's and do something interesting. Clarissa
1: Shields was there. Yeah. Right? She's like in attendance. They don't make much of it on the broadcast itself. Someone asked Amanda Nunes at the post fight press conference. And like, I, th- I think that she gave the appropriate response for an MMA fighter. Like I will wrestle the shit out of you and beat you with a submission from jujitsu. Like, okay. Yes, that's the appropriate response. But again, like considering the performance against Jermaine Durand me, that's another thing that I don't know that you want to say out loud before the fight, right? Like once it comes to the fight, that's what you absolutely should do and win the fight that way. But like what you want to say before the fight is like, come get these hands, yeah, Clarissa. You don't want this smoke. That's right. So like I don't know, man. And, and it's, I feel like it was an odd move for to have Clarissa Shields be there and then kind of like – because when I saw her in the crowd, I was like, oh, maybe they'll do something.
0: I don't know if uh, that was so much the UFC's. You think she
1: just happened to be there?
0: I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but I've been getting emails from like publicists for Clarissa Shields. Like first trying to interest me in writing a story, and I was like, oh, I don't do boxing. Here's the boxing guys at the Athletic, and you talk to them. But they were like, by the way, there's an MMA connection here. Like she's gonna be at this fight and thinking about this. And I don't, maybe I would have taken more of an interest in it if I didn't feel already so fatigued by yeah. just that. That whole plot line yeah. of like, let's talk about these MMA versus boxing matches that 99% of them will never come anywhere near to happening. Yeah, uh, We've all, I think, had our fill of those. But here's one where it's just like, give her something to do. Because right now, it just it's tough. And I, it's not like I'm going to blame her for this, but she doesn't always do herself any favors when it comes time to, to kind of promote herself.
1: Yeah. You think Clarissa Shields just got those tickets from Anthony Kiedis? He's like, I can't use my season tickets this week to the UFC. You might as well take them. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, he, he's got to play a bar mitzvah uh, in uh, Muskogee. So he gave them to, he was like, hey. He hit up the celebrity Slack channel and was like, anybody want these, these oh, tickets man. to the UFC? I'd love
1: to be on that Slack channel. Yeah,
0: David Spade didn't
1: reply <laughs> in time. <laughs> David Spade was out on a run yeah. and by the time he came back. The, the like, tickets were it. snapped up. Dang it. Uh was is Jermaine Duramie just that good at striking? Like is that one of the things that happened here or like why or was this and Amanda Nunez's whole game plan going in was to wrestle her? Oh,
0: I think that the brief moments we saw in the striking department, you saw that uh, Amanda Nunez could hurt Jermaine Durand-Ami. Yeah, I think she could have won the fight there if she wanted to. I also could understand why someone of Jermaine Duramie's background and Like just her her physical reality, you don't – you think like what's her best chance to beat me? It's probably not off her back. Yeah. And I have seen her in the past maybe use the clinch and her size, her height to slow fights way down to where she wants them. And I don't want to get stuck in that. I want to make her deal with me rather than me having to deal with her stuff. And so from that perspective, yeah, I can see why it's a good strategy. And it works. I mean, the, one of the things that just made it not that much fun a fight to watch is that you felt like early on, like, okay, Amanda Nunes can just do this. She can just do this all night if she wants to, and she will. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff?
0: Chad, I'm just saying. I had a moment there in the UFC 245 prelims where I felt like, for one thing, I didn't know – what year, what era we were in. And for another thing, I fucking loved it. And that moment was when Matt Brown is in Ben Saunders guard, elbowing the shit out of his face, getting covered in his blood. While in the background, you can hear Mark Coleman shouting, let's go brother. It's, yeah. Th- I'm just saying that, that is exactly what I wanted out of that fight. Didn't, didn't totally know it going in, but all the th- pieces combined, Matt Brown, boys with Mark Coleman now in there in his corner is the distinctive Coleman voice uh and given very Coleman like advice too like w- you know we've seen Matt Brown he looked like he could probably beat Ben Saunders up on the feet similar to Manny Nunes and Jermaine me. but instead you got Coleman in your corner telling put him up against the fence brother <laughs> put him up against the fence elbow him in the face i mean there were, i you were just one second away from Mark Coleman shouting out for the headbutt yeah and I'm just he saying we
1: wanted to. I'm, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted out of that fight. And I got it. It's right there at the back of his throat. Throw the headbutt. <laughs> Brownie. I think they call him Brownie. Yeah, sure. On the gym.
0: That, that would be, that'd be the kind of thing Mark Coleman would do even after you told him you, you'd rather he
1: didn't. <laughs> uh, ben, this week, I'm just saying, has there ever been a more on brand move in the history of mixed martial arts? that Ali Abdelaziz standing right in front of Kamaru Usman's mom <laughs> while they're trying to get the Greek, the group photo after the main event of UFC 245. oh my goodness maybe i'm maybe it's not fair like i don't know you know maybe they're not posing for the the ppv cameras maybe there's like a still photographer somewhere there looming in the background and just he, the angle the angle that we saw made He it. still
0: didn't get low enough if you're going to be the guy who's going to be like i'm going to be the bottom front row in this picture you got to get down da- you got to get down on a knee at least man
1: yeah standing he, right in front of his mom I'm just saying.
0: The best part, though, is how you can see it when you see them all getting. I saw like a a GIF uh, that somebody put up where it's like you can see them all gathering for the photo. And you can see he realizes as everybody's, you know, joining in for the photo that the most sensible place for him to be would be on the end. Yeah. Like he's already at he's standing at the end there, but he can't allow himself. To be pushed to the side. What if he doesn't make it into the frame? What if somebody reasonably decides when we're cropping this photo, he's the person we least need in there. Everybody else is wearing the t-shirt and everything. He's out there looking like the schmo minus the glasses. And there's something in his brain that goes, no, I can't. Al-. Nobody puts Ali in a corner. Yeah, He has to go not quite even kneel down far enough. Just perfectly with his weirdly shaped giant head blocks out. Uh, Kamaru Usman's mom. Just saying. Just saying. It's just too perfect.
1: Is it also possible with the Usman family that we're dealing with a John Jones type situation where, you know, you watch John Jones fight in mixed martial arts and you're like, oh my God, this guy's just a murderer. He's like – He's just a freak athlete and he's so long and he can do whatever he wants. And then you find out like, oh, wait a second. He's actually like the smallest one of the Jones brothers, (laughs) like uh, Arthur and Chandler both played in the damn NFL. And you're like, so wait a second. You're telling me that of the Jones clan, John Jones is kind of like. The least athletically impressive yeah, one. He's the runt. And then you see Kamaru Usman out there beating people up, being awesome. And then he brings his brother out to share the tragic story of his nephew's death. And it's like Kamaru Usman's brother is freaking enormous compared to Kamaru Usman.
0: It's almost as if genetics is a real thing that
1: exists. I don't know, man. I would just like to believe that if you were a UFC champion, you're the scariest guy in your family.
0: I mean, so you thought that everybody just started out at the same genetic like, baseline, and then we're, what we see in the professional sports is just who worked the hardest. I'm saying
1: if, I, if a family is going to send someone to the UFC, I would like to think that they send their best athletic representation. But it turns out with the Jones family, maybe it's the third stringer. Maybe they're like, well, we sent Arthur to the Baltimore Ravens, and Chandler's up there playing for the Jets or whatever. Like, guess John will go represent us in the UFC yeah, can't,
0: can't make it in the NFL has to become the greatest UFC fighter in history maybe it's just how it goes sometimes I don't know I mean for me it's like when I find out that J.J. Watt has a brother who is also very good at the defensive lineman position in football you're like oh okay well it's almost as if their genetic makeup predisposed them to, to be good at this I guess that makes sense
1: we are two years out from Kevin Watt being the middleweight champion in the UFC that's what I'm saying <laughs> Kevin? Yeah, I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> okay. KJ. Okay,
0: yeah. kj That sounds
1: right. There you go. Are we going to do something special next week on Monday? Are we going to do a live chat instead yeah. of a podcast?
0: Let's do a live chat. It's the, it's Christmas week.
1: It's different stuff going on. It's it will be uh, the start of Hanukkah, December the 23rd, one week from today, next Monday. So what we're going to do is instead of recording an actual li- like standard podcast, we'll be having a live chat over on the Patreon page, but... This live chat will be open to all people, everybody, not
0: just patrons, everybody on the face of the planet,
1: all listeners of the co-main event podcast can show up at patreon.com slash co-main event next Monday at 1130 mountain time, the one true time zone. So 130 Eastern, 1030 Pacific. Where are we going to do this is the question. I mean, we could probably do it at my house, Okay, but I don't know if Wes is still going to be there painting stuff. Okay. Where are your children going to be? Good damn question. Let's get this figured out. Okay. In I can case, bring
0: my children, who also do not have a place to be or anything to do because they'll be off school. Uh, they can have some kind of battle royale. Chaos. While we, while we you're, what you're describing ourselves. right now is chaos. Yes. I'm not saying everybody's going to survive, but the strong will. So. Whoever does survive.
1: As it pertains to you, the listener, a live chat <laughs> a week from today, 1130 a.m. Mountain Time, December the 23rd. To watch it, you got to go over to patreon.com slash co-main event, but it will be free and open to everyone, and that's what we will do the week of Christmas. I assume we will also circle back on that Friday, the 27th, and do a power hour, uh, but probably nothing on Christmas Day.
0: Uh, We will not do a power hour because I am uh, leaving on a weekend ski trip on the
1: 27th. Okay, scratch that.
0: No power hour. Unless you want to record on the 26th. That's Kwanzaa, my friend. Yeah, you don't do shit on Kwanzaa. It's a
1: day after Christmas, man. I'm
0: just throwing it out there.
1: I'm just telling you what I'm doing. All right. Well, let's, we'll, we'll figure it out. We will figure it out. As of right now, we are done. We are through. We are
0: out. How about this? this? Jeff, my favorite Danielle is steel.
1: Okay. Interesting. They're not saying I hate it. I'm just saying maybe we should let it marinate for a little while.
0: Jeff, I just saw Honey Boy in the theaters and now I'm not sure how to
1: feel. See, I was going to say Jeff, all the feels. Yeah.
0: That's that's pretty good. It yeah, feels a little bit of the moment,
1: but not bad. You could go with like a Cypress Hill tie-in and be Jeff the Funky Feel One.
0: Okay. That's, I mean, oh,
1: but then it would work better. better if your name was Nielsen. Jeff the Funky Feel One Nielsen.
0: Yeah. There's got to be a fighter out there named Nielsen. A life
1: just went <laughs> Maybe he's listening right now. Yeah. I hope he is. I assume he is. We're here to help people. Oh, we are. We're here to help.